The Athletic. This is The Athletic Football Podcast Weekend Preview. Hold the Premier League because we're getting stuck in to the international scene. Hi there, this is Adam Leventhal from The Athletic HQ in central London and let's introduce the cast. Let's get straight into it. Data guru, Tom Harris is back. How are you, Tom? Really good, thank you. A couple of weeks on the sidelines, getting a bit worried, but you know, the team carried on performing well as always, that's the main thing. Absolutely. It's a great to have you back. Great <laughs> to have you back. In this international break, we give him his international Aston, England reporter, Tim Spears. Tim, how are you? What's up? <laughs> really? <laughs> really? Is that what happens in the international break? It's a suck, is it? Yes, yeah, it's, it's, I'm a different guy altogether. Yeah, different. Yeah. Different. Yeah, you, you look a bit different, a bit more sort of. Yeah, anyway. Um, <laughs> and no, I haven't, I haven't given you a title. No. Nick Miller. I don't know. I don't really have a specific job title. I think my kind of unofficial job title is, um, yeah, Nick will do that. Um, correspondent for the Athletic. Yeah. I was going to say sort of a jack of all trades, master of none, but yeah. but I I I wasn't going to say that because mm. I would say, and this is a compliment, I would say that you're more a master of all trades, sure, no, and a, absolutely, and a jack of none. It doesn't really work the jack of none bit, but but master of all trades. So okay, so thank you very much. Yeah, I don't I mean yeah. If you do have a look down my list of features, there is a phenomenal lack of focus to my work. Yeah, um, scattergun, scatter, very very scattergun. That's yeah. good. And this, that's good on this podcast, I think. Yeah. Um, so we have no Premier League action, but we have loads of international goodness to get our teeth into, including loads of Euro 2024 qualifiers, which uh, pits the top two from various groups head to head. This is a quick selection for you. Some juicy fixtures in this. Uh, Netherlands against France. That's on Friday night in Group B. So these are all top twos. Uh, Austria against Belgium in Group F. Portugal and Slovakia in Group J. And then if we skip forward to Tuesday night, England against Italy in Group C. And that last game we're going to be talking about a little bit later on in the show. Also, England's Euro 2024 chances. We're going to jump the gun and we're going to obviously be there. We're going to be favourites, etc. And also, something to look out for a little bit later on, our Euro 2028 teams as well. But the big news this week was that the UK and Ireland have got Euro 2028. First major tournament on home soil since Euro 96. A, a quick word from our panel. What's the first thing that you think of in a sentence? Euro 96. Nick? Dentist chair. Dentist chair. Tom? Three years before I was born. Oh, so. for goodness <laughs> sake, Tom. <laughs> Sorry. I don't remember it. Sick of you don't it. remember it? <laughs> no. Have you watched back any of the action? Probably, but I can't match the the football to the, the year. I don't think. What do you think? What do you like? So nothing jumps into your mind because it's interesting because there'll be people listening in a similar boat to you. It's not something that they lived through, so it doesn't literally doesn't mean anything to you. Not massively. So does, no. does dentist? When I say dentist chair, do you know what that means? No. Nope. Oh, this is fantastic. <laughs> this is like um, sort of like a Truman Show sort of or like Tarzan moment, isn't it? Like where no one knows what what someone's talking about. It's fantastic. Brilliant. Do you want to explain, Nick? Yeah, quickly? so before uh, before Euro 96, the England players went out on the Raz and they were pictured um, very, very drunk, shirts ripped, all this kind of thing. And they did this thing called the dentist chair where someone would be 
put in a chair and booze will be poured into their down their throat. Sounds horrific. But then when Paul Gascoigne scored the goal, you must have seen Paul Gascoigne's goal. Yeah. Yeah. When he scored that goal, they celebrated by getting water bottle and sort of squirting it in ah, his face. Okay. Like as if it was. We assume it was like it was some kind of sports drink in there. Um rather than you know. But yeah, that's what the dentist chair was. And it means what to you, Tim? Uh painful. The semi yeah. was was horrible. Yeah. I remember crying. Yeah. Yeah. I also remember uh playing was it was Vindaloo out that year or three lines? Playing it, uh, facing this, this, no, I think Vindaloo was... That was 98, was 98. Yeah, yeah, three lines. Three lines, I turned the speakers on my CD player, Tom. We'll fill you on that later. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, out, out my window and fired out three oh, lines nice. so the whole street could hear it. I was really into it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Fantastic tournament. Obviously, Euro 2020 felt like a home tournament for England with all but the quarterfinals at Wembley, which I still can't quite work out how, how England got away with that, but fair play. It was good. But just to tell us a little bit more about how the hosting decision came around for Euro 2028, here is The Athletic senior football news reporter, Matt Slater. So UK and Ireland are going to host Euro 2028. The decision was made on Tuesday uh, at UEFA's headquarters in Switzerland. No real drama on the day. They were the only bidder. Turkey, their potential rival, dropped out a week before and has gone in with Italy and they're going to host the 2032 Championships together. And a very simple reason for that, no one likes losing. This was a sort of compromise way of kind of everyone saving face and getting what they needed. The British and Irish bid was very strong. They'd already dropped out of the race for the 2030 World Cup to leave the way clear for Spain and Portugal to be the only European bid. So you could argue that UK and Ireland rode a favour and yeah, that's really the way it played out. In terms of the bid, 10 stadiums, six of them in England, Wembley, Tottenham, Manchester City, Aston Villa, Newcastle and Everton's still to be finished new stadium at Bramley Moor. And then in Scotland, Hampden, the Principality in Cardiff, the Aviva Stadium in Dublin and Northern Ireland will be hopefully playing a game at Casement Park, which is a derelict GAA venue at the moment, that's Gaelic football and hurling, but lots of hope that that stadium can be built. You know, how it's built and who pays for it, I think, is to be discussed, and that will be a story in the, over the next year or so. But real optimism for the tournament, three million tickets available, and hopefully all five home nations will qualify. And if, if they don't all qualify by right, there are two backstop places, there are two safety net places for two who fail to make it by right. So you know, a lot of optimism around the tournament and, you know, a real opportunity for the home nations to do well. Right, so let's deal with the, the here and now. That's the future, Euro 2028. Let's focus on Euro 2024. And England's qualifier, this international break, is against Italy. Uh, England top of Group C on 13 points, four wins out of five. Italy a second, Ukraine third, North Macedonia fourth, all on seven points. Would you like some perms, Nick? hundred uh, percent. Yeah. Nick Always. Tom. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So, this is what we need to happen for England to make the tournament. They can guarantee a place at Euro 2024 if Ukraine and North Macedonia draw on Saturday, and then England beat Italy. And actually, a win should be enough due to England's superior goal difference and also the fixtures to come. For example, Italy have to play North Macedonia and Ukraine. Tim, I wanted to come to you on Italy. You remember right at the beginning of the qualification uh, group, 
They beat Italy 2-1 in Naples. It was a really impressive victory. They've only dropped points against Ukraine away in their last qualifier. Italy have beaten Ukraine at home, one in Malta, but they drew in North Macedonia. Um, this game, obviously, a repeat of the ill-fated Euro 2020 final. Now, though, Italy, they're a very different proposition, aren't they? Yeah, very much so, in the dugout uh, and on the pitch. So, uh, Roberto Mancini left in controversial circumstances uh, to become manager of Saudi Arabia instead mm. of manager of Italy. No one can speculate why, why he'd want to do that, what possible reasons would draw him to Saudi Arabia, uh, but he's gone. Uh, so Luciano Spalletti, who led Napoli to the title last year, is in charge. Um, yeah, a very different team. Obviously, they didn't qualify for the World Cup, infamously uh, beaten by North Macedonia, mm. who are the scourge of Italy because they got a point off them last month yeah. as well. Yeah, sort yeah, of yeah. a bizarre bogey team to have. Um, yeah, so there's no outfield player in the squad with more than 50 caps. So they're inexperienced. They've got Donnarumma in goal, has got 50, but no one else has. So it's very much sort of a new new generation of players. M to be fair, many of whom people who follow the Premier League will, will know. Um, Moises Keane is in the squad after, I think, out for a couple of years. You've got Locatelli of Juventus. Destiny Doggy of Spurs has been drafted in and may get his first cap. Federico Chiesa is still there. Zaniolo from Villa is there. But you wouldn't describe them as a European force and you wouldn't have them amongst the favourites for the Euros, I don't think, either. So, uh, obviously, they need to qualify first. But then Spalletti needs to uh, create an identity and put together a team in the next nine months, which can be done, but is going to be difficult. What is that identity that we've seen so far, Tom, from a, a Spalletti-Italy team? Yeah, I mean, probably better to look at how he played at Napoli and it was very defined, which I think is good for international football because you don't want... Too, anything too complicated when you're only seeing your players kind of every couple of weeks but I mean in short on the ball it was kind of a 4-3-3 they like to build up like really short passes quite patient but then they also had lots of intensity out of possession as well so it's kind of a mix of being you know intricate on the ball and aggressive off it um, so if you look at the statistics for example they had the highest possession of any Serie A team last season but they also won the ball back in the attacking third more than any other side last season so it's that kind of yeah, combination of being intricate and aggressive, but also that ability with Napoli. They had Aussie men up front. They could go long when they needed to. They were able to mix it up quite well. And, you know, it would be interesting to see how that translates to this Italy team because, as Tim's just said, it's it's very different and it's not massively experienced. But there are a few players in there. Domenico Birardi, for example, he's been doing really, really well for Sassuolo over the last couple of years. I think he's got a part to play. Fratesi in the midfield I quite like as well. But yeah, it's it's too early to say for sure, but I think his play style is something that is quite easy to adapt to on an international level because it's not that complicated. And Nick, with with this fixture in particular, the fact that, you know, England after this game, they only have Malta and North Macedonia to come in their qualifiers that, that come. Um, this is effectively the last competitive game that they will play against a big gun before Euro 2024. So it would be interesting to see how... Um, Gareth Southgate approaches it and whether he, he sort of is saying that to his squad as well come on let's let's make sure that we're really on point for this yeah it's you would think it'd be a, a kind of psychological thing not just because it's you know the same opposition at the same stadium as the uh, Euros final but there is also obviously this thing that kind of follows England around at major tournaments is that they do all right until they face a decent team and then then they lose. So I suppose even though, as Tom says, that it's, it's very early days in this version of Italy and they haven't qualified for the last two World Cups, I think it's quite would be quite important to to beat them. I, I kind of wondered about 
I assume England haven't uh, arranged their sort of pre-tournament qualifiers yet. Perhaps not always the kind of done thing to play someone really good before the tournament. But with that thing about um, you know losing to the first decent team you play against, I wondered whether it would be a decent idea to arrange a friendly against you know Argentina or Brazil or Morocco or who are kind of the I think the highest ranked um, African team just to get up to like some kind of fighting level. They tend to do that thing where they arrange uh, opposition that is similar to what they've got in the group. Yeah, yeah, which is it's kind of generally more a thing at the world with the World Cup, I think. But yeah, it's, yeah. which is a sort of strange. They like, arrange like a some kind of testimonial against like a World Eleven <laughs> or something <laughs> yeah. at, at yeah. Wembley. Just yeah. call it like a Wembley anniversary match or something. Yeah. just just get Messi and Ronaldo and. Mbappe and just set him against Harry Maguire and see what happens. <laughs> oh, Marketing oh. bonanza. <laughs> it's a good idea. So, Tim, obviously things can change, but England would be heading to Euro 2024 um, as one of the favourites, along with, with France, host Germany, Spain will be in there as well. The recent history for England is obviously good at, at major tournaments, semi-final, final, quarter-final. Um, in the last three tournaments do you feel that they are and I'll, I'll throw this out to the to the entire room but to you Tim first do you think that they're stronger now than they were at the World Cup uh, uh, probably stronger for the experience I would say that's something that they've maybe that they that they that they're gaining throughout these tournaments that they play and then Bellingham's elevation in, into this world-class player makes makes them a better team I think but otherwise you're not really looking at Unless I'm missing someone, anyone else sort of coming in from the World Cup group a year ago and really sort of helping them push on. I guess you know you take that, you take the quarterfinal performance against France as sort of your baseline because England played well that day. They they matched them for long parts of the game. They were they were sort of better than them. But so what were the reasons they didn't win that game and how did they need to kick on 18 months later for the Euros? I think I think belief is certainly a part of that. I think ruthlessness. They could definitely do with a bit more of an edge for me. I remember in the World Cup they got one one yellow card in five games, and then in that France. What, what sort? Of, you just want more of a shit house approach to you? Is that well, well, I don't know if you remember, but in the France quarter final, Saka was being kicked all over the yeah. pitch, and Foden, in the build up to one of the goals, he was fouled, wasn't he? And Foden yeah. as well. They were being kicked everywhere. I don't know. We just weren't doing any of that. I think that kind of ruthlessness. And arsiness is is something you 100% you need to win a tournament. Portugal, that's the way Portugal won it in 2016. Um, so we lack a bit of that as well. They are they are very nice, and I'm not sure that's changing either. Um, I think they've they've got the they've got the talent to go all the way to the final, but tactically Southgate is not. I'm not sure he's he hasn't convinced me that he's the man to lead them to victory. We're recording this on Thursday afternoon, and who are you seeing later on? Gareth Southgate. Hmm. You're going to tell him. You're going to be. You're going to be. <laughs> am I going to truthful? Truthful to him. You're going to stand in front of him and say, "Gareth, great to see you. I you know, love your work. Good luck with the game and all this sort of stuff." Oh, and by the way, I don't believe that you're the man for the job. Well, there's no question there. It's just a press conference. No, so. I know, but you, you know, it, if you you come and tell me how you feel about me when you come into the studio, would you do the same for Gareth Southgate? I don't tell you what I really think of you. No, I know, that. <laughs> but I can tell from your face sometimes. Yeah. We should, should clarify that it is a press conference. The way you, the way you introduced it there, made it sound like an intimate dinner for two. Uh, yes, that's true. There is a press conference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There is. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll tell him. Yeah. You tell him. Good. <laughs> Tom, let's go back onto the actual uh, subject. Uh, it's interesting what Tim said there that he f he's not quite sure whether they're better than they were at the World Cup, and you know, ruthlessness is is a key key element. What, what do you think? 
Yeah, I mean, I think I like this England squad in that there are the players that you can, you know, the first name on the team sheet. You've got Declan Rice, you've got Jude Bellingham, you've got Harry Kane. And then around them, there are a lot more different options of kind of different profiles of players. So I think if you look at the midfield, for example, you know, you've got James Madison, someone who's good at kind of getting into spaces. He's He's got a decent kind of long range shot, break down a low block. You've got someone like Phil Foden who can carry the ball over long distances. You've got someone like... Mason Mount can do a bit of everything. Um, Conor Gallagher, good at kind of enforcing a high press. There's lots of different ways that, you know, Southgate has at his disposal of winning games, which I think is is really encouraging because, you know, at, at an international tournament, it's mostly knockout. You need to look at how you're going to win individual games, game by game. So to have those options, I think is really encouraging. But I think I would slightly share Tim's kind of doubt of whether Southgate is a man to consistently pick that right option. Um, so, yeah, for me it is down to those kind of decisions on a game-by-game basis because you're not going to win a knockout tournament necessarily by being the best team. You have to be the best team per game. Okay, so we're not necessarily all sold on, on England being favourites for the tournament. Is that, is that fair? Not clear favourites. They're, they're, no. they're in the top four for sure. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So if it's not going to be England, are we all thinking it will it will be France or do you have any other sort of more random picks? Tom, do you want to, do you want to start? Yeah, I mean, I'm going to talk about Spain because uh, I like Spanish football. Um, and I do think that, you know, looking at the World Cup, I mean, they started off so well and then kind of came unstuck against Morocco. But I think since then, Spain have added a bit more of an attacking edge to their team, which I think is quite interesting. If you're looking in La Liga, you look at kind of the new wingers that are coming through. There's Nico Williams at Athletic Club, who just really incisive and can kind of win a game all by himself. Um, there's Lamin Yamal as well, who we've spoken about on this podcast. Obviously, still very young, but he clearly has that ability. Even um, Brian Zaragoza has just been called up to the team um, ahead of these um, next round of fixtures, and he's started off really well. I think there's this kind of profile of Spanish winger, which we've not seen in quite a while, which could unlock new, new, new things for them going forward. And then on top of that, you've obviously got the midfield of Rodri, um, Pedri, and Gavi, which is, you know, probably up there with with the best midfields in the world. David Raya in goal. I, th- I think they're building quite nicely. And, you know, if they can add a bit more bite to that possession football, which we all know they're so good at, I think they could be definitely in with a shout. Pick from you, Tim. Uh, Tim, I'll, I'll look at Nick and call you Tim, Not just to confuse everyone. That's Pick fine. from you, Nick. You, you could you could mistake me for much worse people than Tim Spears. <laughs> I was going to suggest Portugal, um, partly because they have have sort of absurd levels of sort of talent depth mm. in their squad. Ja Felix is doing quite well for Barcelona I think uh, not yeah, as far as I can tell I mean you know Ronaldo's still hanging around Bernardo Silva Jota you know you, you kind of know most of the, the players involved there they've also been incredibly good in the qualifiers so far admittedly a re- friendly-ish group but they've won six out of six they've scored 24 goals and conceded zero um, in those in those six games so yeah I, I would say Portugal if not England who Tim? Um, I uh, it's always Portugal on paper for me, I think, but they still have this Ronaldo debate that went through the World Cup when they he ended up being dropped, um, and then Gonzalo Ramos came in and scored a hat trick in the knockout stages, and then yeah, Ronaldo's back again, presumably because of his fantastic goal scoring form in Saudi Arabia, um, and in the qualifiers he scored six. But yeah, it's a it's, a, it's an awful group or fr- friendly group, as Nick said. Um, yeah, but Roberto Martinez has made a, a couple of interesting changes. They brought Jao Palina in as DM. So he was on the fringes before behind like Ruben Neves and Jean Martinho. 
So that that's that's a good switch for me. I think he's one of the best DMs around. And then Rafael Leao has come into the first eleven as well mm. since the World Cup. And yeah, the strength and depth is is insane. But then you yeah, is Roberto Martinez a good enough manager to lead them to an international trophy? You know, he couldn't do it with Belgium's golden generation, so can he do it with Portugal? And yeah, this Ronaldo I mean the Ronaldo debate is just yeah, I'm bored of it. I've written about it so much, but it's it's never ending. Box office show, isn't he? Still even if it even if it's people just getting fed up with it it's still it's still of huge interest no it is but is he aged uh 39 he'll be he'll be 39 at the euros um can he really lead portugal to glory uh, yeah it's fine doing it in easy qualifiers in saudi arabia but i'm unconvinced that he can still do it at the top level because he was really poor in the world cup and not france no one's really mentioned no one's really wants to stick their flag in in france it's, it just seems like there's just a bit of a given really that they, they are yeah they're I, they're probably the favourites. Yeah. Um, well, I think almost they should, they should almost certainly be the favourites. Um, so uh, you know, I think everyone knows they how good they are and what. Again, if Portugal have got an absurd depth of talent, then France. Fine. You know, okay. Fine. So it was just so. a given. Yeah, I, you know, okay. I, I'm 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 treating uh, our listeners with respect. Uh, the, the listeners know. Now, one of the criticisms of Gareth Southgate is that he does like his favourites. And there are pros and cons to that. He likes his continuity. Fair enough. Um, but Tom, I just wanted to get your your take on some of the players that may well force their way into the Euro 2024 reckoning. We'll remember, we'll be talking about Euro 2028 in a moment's time. Um, but who are the names that we should be looking out for and, and that this season is really important for? I think for me, the name who has to be in there who hasn't been before is Levi Colwell, just because of his ability to progress a ball on the left side of a defence as a left foot centre-back is really, really good. And England don't have that profile really at the moment. No Premier League centre-back has made more forward passes per game since the start of last season. He's in a top 10 for progressive dribbles as well. He's comfortable. We've seen that Chelsea is basically playing at left-back at the moment. He's comfortable in other positions. He can step up into the midfield. And I think particularly when England want to dominate a game, when they're playing opponents that they should be beating, he is a really, really good choice alongside John Stones to allow England to kind of push forward and just really... Yeah, really territorially kind of dominate these games. So I think for me, he is he is the first one. Just quickly on on Cole Colwell. Obviously, those stats mm. are very much weighted towards his time at, at Brighton. Has there been a bit of dip in terms of performance because he's been in a struggling Chelsea side, and also there's increased pressure on on him playing as a senior, you know, defender in a a team that has huge expectations. Yeah, I mean Chelsea really obviously the points aren't suggesting that they're playing very well, but they are. So actually, no, really, it's kind of carried on just just as he was at, at Brighton. And if anything, it's got better because he's, um, like you say, he's been playing in different positions. He's found himself in a lot more different scenarios than he perhaps would at Brighton. And yeah, he's, he's really kicked on and been one of the, probably one of the more impressive players at Chelsea this season, which is really good for someone of his age. Tim, anyone that you want to sort of point towards in terms of having needing a good season to, to get into the reckoning? I think perhaps more than that, I might say positionally, there are probably three gaps in the team for me. Yeah. So one, I, th I think the team pretty much picks itself when they're all fit. So Pickford will be in goal. I think probably Reese James at right back and Luke Shaw at left back. But you can say Walker at right, but we're not, we're not short fullbacks, it's fine. Um, and then Stones starts, but who starts along Stones? There's, there's a massive gap there in my mind. Uh, if Maguire doesn't play, can it be him? If not, the four who's consistently picked in the past couple of squads are Mark Gay, Colwell, 
Lewis Dunk, who was excellent against Scotland, um, albeit in a, the kind of game that England won't really face towards the back end of the Euros. And Tamori, who does well for Milan but doesn't get picked for England at all. Um, in fact, he's won, I think in the past three years, he's won as many league titles for AC Milan as he's played for England, which is one. Um, so, yeah, there's a gap there at centre-half for me. We discussed earlier the one in central midfield um, with Henderson and, and Matt isn't in the, in the squad, and there's a gap there. And then left forward, because um, Rashford's out of form. Uh, Grealish has never really nailed down that spot. And he's been playing Madison there recently, but that's that's not where he's doing his great work for Spurs, and he's not been as effective for England. So, yeah, of course, of course he can do a job there. But... If if there's I think there's there's a vulnerability to his position because it's not where he plays. For people who aren't watching Spurs week in week out, where is Madison playing? If not out on the left, is he's at the more top? Of, he's at the top, central, of, yeah. top of a three, really. Um, but that's where that's where Bellingham is for England. So there's just a little bit of yeah, yeah. I'd say I'd say eight of them are nailed down. You've obviously got Saka and Kane as well, but there are three spots up for grabs in my mind. Okay, let's skip even further forward to Euro 2028. And there's a piece on The Athletic, which is out now, which you can get stuck into, um, whereby our writers got to pick their lineups for the tournament. And I think the idea behind this came from a few articles that there have been on various different you know, platforms here and there over the years, whereby <laughs> you basically pick a team and then when it gets to that time, you look at it and go, well, none of these guys are even playing football anymore. So what did you know? Um so let's just go through each of your teams for Euro 2028. I'm going to start with with Tim. Now, you haven't got someone that you just mentioned a few moments ago, which may well surprise a few people. And you didn't select or didn't think that Jude Bellingham was going to be playing in 2028. What, 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 the, what the hell? Uh, I just think he'll be injured. Um, that's my prediction. I, I took this very literally. I really sort of got into it. So, yeah, Jason Tindall's uh, England manager... <laughs> You were, you, I, I did read the article full, fully. Yeah. You I, I, were the, probably the most silly, weren't you? Yeah, I wouldn't yeah. pay much attention yeah. to, to my team. I was just having a bit of a laugh, really. <laughs> right, so, yeah, Bellingham's playing for Al Hilal, uh, yeah. and he's, yeah, he's played 420 games in six years, so he's just broken. Uh, Eddie Howe uh, got done by a tabloid sting on the eve of the tournament, so he got sacked. That's, that's why Jason Tindall's in charge. Uh, just, yeah, just, just me being silly. Um so yeah, that's why I think. But there's always a big injury, so it's going to be Jude, Jude Bellingham this time, Euro 2028. Okay, there, there might be a serious point there. Saka no, Bellingham, we, we spoke we, about Saka, massively yeah. overplayed. Yeah, yeah. so I, I, I can see these guys burning very brightly, a la Rooney, at the start of their careers, and then just just being completely knackered by the time they're thirty. It's interesting though when you think about the the physicality of Bellingham at such a young age. He's twenty now, isn't he? Um, he was 19 for quite a few years, I, I remember, but he is now 20. Um, the fact that he is such a specimen as well, such a like a big lad for such a young guy, you know, it just seems I, I don't necessarily know if, if that is going to be the case, that he is going to be burnt out. I think he could probably, I think he's robust enough. Uh, impossible to tell, really, but yeah, the fact that he's playing so many more minutes than some of his uh, predecessors in the England team did by his age... And at the very top level and in a very demanding part of the pitch just makes me think, yeah. surely, unless there are huge advancements in in technology in the next few years, which there might be. We don't know. Or the, and there's, a lot, the there's a lot of talking about, you know, burnout and schedules and stuff. Maybe, you know, next year or in, in two years time, there'll only be like one Super League 
So they'll only like play three or four games a season and, and stuff like that. So yeah, who knows? Could be eleven subs by then. Yeah, all, all kinds of things. We don't know the future, yeah. do we? Yeah, that's the beauty of life. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Tom, um, you were big on Morgan Gibbs White being a, a sort of a central character to your to your side. Yeah, Nick's uh, nodding along. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, Tim posted his kind of paragraph in the in the group that we were using to 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 make this article, and I thought I'm not even going to try and follow that up. I'm just going to go straight down the line. Serious choices, and yeah. So mine isn't as as exciting as, as Tim's, admittedly. But more Gibbs White is the one that I probably stuck my neck out the most on. Um, just what I like about him is kind of the amount of responsibility that he takes at such a young age. So. I mean, he's still only 23, which I think is actually quite easy to forget sometimes. But, you know, if we're looking at the data, he's, he's not going to be up there with De Bruyne, Fernandez, all those kind of teams because Nottingham Forest don't have much of the ball and they play kind of transitionally. But if you look at kind of the proportion of Nottingham Forest actions that he takes, he, he's, he's top of the board across more or less everything. I mean, so since he joined Nottingham Forest, no player has created more of their team's chances than, than Morgan Gibbs-White has. Um, 20% of their take-ons he's, he's, he's completed. He's involved in 44% of their kind of passing sequences uh, leading to shots. So he's just really, really just taken the responsibility on his shoulders. And he's just really direct and brave. And I think it'd be a nice option to have in, in a couple of years' time when Bellingham and uh, Rice are at the peak of their powers. I think it'll be a nice kind of different option to have alongside them. He's, he's in a queue, basically. And I th- and Southgate will will well, he's spoken about before he'll like him the way he's come through under seventeen World Cup winner through to the twenty ones. Um, if he was playing for one of the big six teams, I think he'd probably be in the squad already. But he'll he'll be looking at him or Southgate or whoever's in charge for twenty twenty six. I would have thought this season probably comes too quickly. But yes, yeah, we do our twenty twenty six teams actually. <laughs> <laughs> you haven't your your team didn't go in the in the article presumably you were off the day that it got it got commissioned wasn't wasn't asked oh right it wasn't asked oh right not it's bitter so well, let's 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 read it out now then shall we your team in fairness it's not actually that interesting there's, okay. so uh, the, the, whoever decided not to invite was right to do yeah. so um i struggled a bit with who would be in goal he kind of think well surely it won't be jordan pickford but surely you know he would have been dropped at various points already if, he'll only be 34 though i think yeah so Prime, uh, prime age. I've gone, I've gone for uh, Aaron Ramsdale anyway. Uh, Rhys James right back. John Stones, Levi Cowell. I've gone with Lewis Hall at left back. Not really a sort of first team regular yet, but I think he probably will be soon enough. And he's from from the relatively limited amount of uh, time, top level football he's played, he's looked really, really good. As mentioned before, I think midfield of Declan Rice, Ricky Lewis, and uh, and uh, hopefully uninjured. Jude Bellingham and then I think uh, old man Harry Kane will still just about be hanging on by then probably back at Tottenham it's just for the uh, do you reckon do, just, you, do, you, do you genuinely think he'll be what 34 34 as well yeah, 34 yeah. That's not, it's not that it's, it's yeah. not it's not that I mean I suppose the only thing is if if his kind of annual ankle injury becomes a bit too much by by that age but yeah I think he'll be he'll have filled his boots at Bayern won a few league titles maybe a Champions League back in England for the Premier League goals record and he'll, he'll still be up front for England yeah that'd be great wouldn't it yeah Robert Lewandowski was 34 last season 23 league goals won a title at Barcelona yeah, there you go still still capable of doing it and hopefully Kane is a bit more a poacher by, by then he's not running around the pitch yeah. and trying to pick up the ball at the halfway line he might even be even, even better a lot of people did actually go for Eddie and Ketia in that 
in that role. Oh, a, look at that from Tim Spears. Yeah, I'm, it, I'm it, shaking my head as well. It's obviously an audio experience, but that was a that was a almost a loud shake of the head from you in terms of Eddie mm. and Ketty. I heard your head swinging, yeah. almost like a dinosaur right there. <laughs> Is that big and significant? Yeah, I just haven't seen enough from him to suggest that he'll be. I mean, Ivan Tony's got. You're a the bit. crusher of dreams, aren't you? <laughs> Bellingham no, I'm, injured, Inketi's not good enough. No, I'm making, Southgate, get out of here. I'm making the dreams of Harry Kane, who'll sit up front. Uh, Charlie Patino, who'll be in. Midfield. Charlie Patino, that was a good shout in your. Well, in your he's, I know him to be a wonder kid, uh, and he's playing well for Swansea, so that that does enough for me. Yeah, I have to give a, a little shout to. Uh, Karl Anker as well. He went probably for the most um, up-and-coming player to be in that England side that's not even in the mix yet. And he said that Callum Scanlon is going to be in the England side. Who is Callum Scanlon? He's a left-back, 18-year-old from Liverpool. Yeah, good player. Remember the name. This is a paid advertisement from BetterHelp Therapy Online. Do you ever get that feeling that you need to get something off your chest? We all carry around different stresses, big and small. And when we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe place to release and discuss those thoughts and feelings and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's entirely online and it's designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. All you need to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a licensed therapist. And if things don't click, you can switch to someone new at any time with no additional charge. With over 1,000 therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. And because you listen to this podcast, you can get 10% off your first month of online therapy by heading to betterhelp.com slash athleticfootball. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash athleticfootball with no spaces. Now, before we go, I just wanted to flag a few things because we're in the international break. And obviously we cover international football in depth um, across the board with all our team of writers. But it does give you an opportunity without the sort of the, the thrust of, of Premier League action to maybe just take a take a beat and maybe tuck into a, a longer read that you might not have the opportunity to do over the course of a weekend or, or whatever. Um, and recommendations from each of our writers in the room, something that you've read that you would recommend to to people on The Athletic. Um, Tim. I've been all over the Beckham doc, as I'm sure a lot of ah, people yeah. have. It's, it's very enjoyable, albeit it skews history, which annoys me. Um, in what sense? Why? Well, the, 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 there's always got to be uh, journeys and heroes and villains, and Glenn Hoddle is the villain of this particular piece. But they, they really done him over. I mean, I, th- I think he was asked to be on it, but said no. So they've um, gone in sev- two for several times. I read an interview with the, the uh, director where he yeah. said he asked Hoddle a number of times and he was just not interested. So there's there's, there's a clip in the doc where um, it, it's post-World Cup press conference, I think, and Hoddle's in like a cream suit and he has a pop at Beckham. Um, but if you watch the actual press conference which I did this week, then, yeah, he makes out that Beckham should not be made to be a scapegoat here. We're like, we, we need to look after this kid and all this kind of stuff from exactly the same press conference, unless he wore that suit many times, which he shouldn't have. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it just it just shows you, of course, how they do it. It's a Netflix documentary. But he was that annoyed me. Um, but uh, uh, on that theme, the Ferguson-Beckham relationship's been um, analysed yeah. uh, in full. by. He is in the doc, isn't he? Sorry, yeah, David Beckham. That's Alex Ferguson. Fergie. Alex Ferguson, he's <laughs> yeah. in the dock. Yeah. But 
um, yeah, Mark Critchley sort of analysed what their relationship was really like. Because, again, there were a couple of holes in that. They don't really talk about why Fergie decided to move Beckham on. And if you read the piece, um, he goes into how Fergie thought his work ethic had gone because uh, fame went to his head and, and he was never the, quite the same player after that, which, of course, is not the kind of thing they're going to mention in, in the David Beckham documentary. So it fills in a few holes. It's a really, really good piece. OK. Tom? Yeah, I've... Um away from England and to South America and Jack Lang, um, who is really good whenever he writes about kind of Brazil in particular. He did a, a, a kind of doc piece on uh, Gabriel Martinelli this week. Mm. Really, really enjoyed that. He just writes really well. And yeah, all the kind of little details, you know, he's been there, he's, he's seen where Gabriel Martinelli's uh, been brought up and he's spoke to lots of people involved and yeah, it's really insightful. Really enjoyed it. Uh, I'm going to recommend a, a piece by a piping hot young journalist called Nick Miller. Uh, okay. I, I did spend quite a lot of time on this piece, so I'm justifying the right, okay. um, this sort of shameless self-promotion. Yeah. Obviously, we know that there has been an awful lot more injury time this uh, season, so uh, with the help of our chums at Opta, and with the help of Tom as well, actually, I looked at what has actually been happening in, in all this added time and what difference it's been making to... Um, to the games in the Premier League, and because because I initially thought, oh, you know, are we all this added time? Is anything actually happening? Are we all just kind of sat there getting older and you know missing a train we might have otherwise caught when the the game would have been over? But there have there's been ten um, percent of all goals scored this season has been scored in second half injury time. Mm. Um, which is uh, more than before, and there are some lovely graphs um, in the in the piece to display that. If you don't want to read the words, um, which I, I recommend you do, but mm. if you if you really just want the visual stuff, there are some nice you know graphics and stuff in there as well. So yeah, so basically my initial uh, suspicion that we were all just kind of sitting there. Um, getting mouldy as uh, all this extra fo- all this extra time on the pitch was playing out in front of us without any actual football happening was incorrect, and there has actually been loads of stuff happening. I think that's really interesting. Yeah, there you go. I've not. Re- I'm going to be brutally honest. I've not read that piece. No, I but don't... you've just sold it to me. Exactly. So there See? you go. I'm going to read it. Uh, I would recommend a couple of pieces as well if you, if you want to ask me the question. Go, go on then. Are they going to be yours or are they no, someone no, no. else's? No, no, no. Well, actually, I've, I did sort of throw my sort of two two pence worth into uh, a couple of them. But one on um, Birmingham City, mm. the situation there. And that's sort of continuing to unfold. And there'll be a lot more coverage of, of Birmingham City with Wayne Rooney now in charge. Uh, and also the situation at Sheffield Wednesday as well, which is a little bit of a bin fire as per usual. Um, so, yeah, do tuck in to those. Thank you very much for your recommendations. Thanks very much for your insights today, Nick. Thank you. <laughs> Tom. <laughs> it's been a pleasure. And Tim. What's up? <laughs> Fantastic. Right, that's it from us. Uh, many thanks to all of you for listening. Io Akimuleri is going to be back on Monday. And then next week, the rest of the week, I'm going to be in the chair. I'm standing in for Io all the way through to the weekend preview. Um, so hopefully... Uh, you look forward to that. Uh, your producer today was John Rogers. Round of applause for John Rogers, please. Your executive producer was Adam Jones. Fantastic. This is a bit play school, isn't it? I don't know why we're doing this. But anyway, I, like, I quite like it. It's quite interactive. Um, if you'd like to read more on The Athletic from the likes of Tom, Tim, Nick and everyone else, uh, sign up to The Athletic 
for $1.99 a month or $1.99 a month for an entire year at theathletic.com forward slash football pod. We'll be back on Monday. Have a great weekend. Take care. The Athletic.